So I want to talk about being defined by rest today, being a restful person. What's the first thing you hear people say when you ask them how they're doing? How they define their life? How are things lately? Busy. Right? How you doing? Busy. How's your soul? Busy. We're defined by being busy in the Christian faith. It's faith that causes us to live at rest. So our life should be born out of rest in the gospel, and we should be productive, we should work, but that should come from a restful place. Christian people should be the least anxious people because of what Christ has done on the cross and because we know, we know we're in the hands of God. Any of us, we know we fight it, right? Like we know, I shouldn't be this anxious. I shouldn't not be at rest because God has come through for me over and over and Again, I haven't heard one of you ever say God has let me down. That's one thing as a pastor. I've never heard anyone utter those words, God has let me down. Even the tough times we went through, you realize that God's hand guided us through the whole thing. Amen? That he washed over us, that he gave us rest, that even in our hard times it had purpose. We are called to be a people who are defined by rest not defined by business. This is even more of a problem in Boston culture. We define people by, he's a hard worker. What is he? He's either lazy and no good, or he's a hard worker. And if he's a hard worker, it don't matter whatever else he does in his life, he works hard. Yeah, but he just killed three people. He works hard, though. OT. Because we think that busyness brings value to our life. When people ask us and say, I've been doing this and I've been doing that, I've been doing this, we feel that that makes us more valuable in people's eyes. Or, on the other hand, we think that we can be God or play God and we can provide for ourselves rather than ceasing from work and allowing God to bring rest to our life. Because we cannot be, you cannot love your neighbor right if you're always busy. Because guess what you won't have time for? To talk to people. You know, one of the most loving things the church of God can do in everyday life now is stop and talk to someone. Show them that they're valuable enough, they're valuable enough that you take time to listen to them. Is there anything worse when someone you love doesn't have time to listen to you? And it's always... Oh, there's something I have to do or I'm too busy or I don't have time for this. But really, what is more important than having time for each other? What is more important than that? You know, I I went on a Godfather run the last three days. It came out on Netflix. If you haven't watched Godfather, ask yourself some life questions. But it came on Netflix and I said, you know, I'm having trouble getting the movies and series. So when something catches me, I said, I'll revisit the Godfather. And what caught me off guard is these men at the top said, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for my children. They were always busy. They never had time to talk. They never had time to be with their family. They said, I'm doing this for my children. I'm doing this for this. I'm doing this for that. But what was happening was their lifestyle was actually destroying their family. So you say you're doing this for your family, and their children were getting killed. Doing this for family and their whites were leaving them. They're doing this for the family and, and all this is happening. You realize they're not doing this because I talked to Natalie. Like, I can't understand it. I know this is a fictional movie, but this rings true with all of our hearts. 
We say we're staying busy and doing this for things that really matter while we're neglecting the things that matter most because we're not rested and we're too busy to do the things that are most valuable. Do you guys hear what I'm preaching right here? Like I hear mothers and fathers all the time, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. Please hear Jesus say you don't have to do this and he will always take care of you. So you'll look back at your life and you won't say, man, I had to work so hard to take care of myself. You would say, yes, I worked hard and faithfully, but man, God carried me the whole way and there's no way I can boast in providing for myself because my God took care of me all the way. And that's what he showed his people. Even when he, he led them out into the wilderness out of Egypt, what did he do? He'd call, cause bread to fall from heaven. And they'd say, no, I want to see now. I want some reserve. I want savings in the bank. I want that retirement. I want this. No, listen, if you have too much of that, there's no need of faith. I need you to walk with me. I need you to trust me. I need you to be with me. I need it so when you get to the end of your life, when you get to the end of your day, you say, God provided every single moment. And I rested in that. And so today, we're going to talk about the Pharisees, the religious leaders are confronting Jesus on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a day a week where you would cease from work and trust God to provide. A hard thing to do without faith. But the Pharisees had turned even the day of rest into a way to heap burdens on people so it couldn't even be restful. And we'll get into the heart of that. And I'll give you an example of this. Sometimes we're given things that are supposed to give him leisure and relaxation. We can make them work things. Like they're meant to bring relaxation. All of a sudden they become a duty. For example, I went to the library to get a book on sharks. It's called Meg, a megalodon. It doesn't still live, but it's a fictional book and I'm an idiot. So I like reading about creatures that kill everything. So I say, you know what, Joey? Because every book I'm reading is theological. The fall of man, heaven, hell, the soul. Get it together. I'm like, I need something relaxed. I need something stupid. Like a big shark comes up from the abyss and is eating humpback whales and they're trying to kill him. So I get this book from the library and I decide I'm going to read it on Saturdays to give me leisure and relaxation. Do you know what I started to do with that book? I started throwing legalisms on it. I got to read 20 pages a day of it. I got to read it every day. Every night when everyone goes to bed, I read this book. It became unenjoyable. I didn't enjoy the book after a while. I'm looking at it with disgust. Stupid book. I shouldn't have got the book. Now I got another thing to do. I got another thing I got to do. Read the stupid shock book. I finally said to myself, I got this book to enjoy it. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to read it when I feel like reading it. I'm going to relax. I'm not keeping track of the pages. You know what happened when I used that book for what it was meant to be, leisure and relaxation? I read more of the book. I enjoyed the book. It did what it's supposed to do. Gave a little escapism, so not thinking about the heavy things of the world, right? The reason I share that story is because that's what the religious leaders did to the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Like, God's so merciful and loving, he gives you a day to cease from work. What they did to that day was saying, and I'll get into it. Don't do this on that day. I'm watching you. You shut off that light on that day. You turn off that light. You lift this. You do that. You go to that. You're not resting. And the heat burdens on the people. So people didn't enjoy the day. They dreaded the day. 
What I want you to today to learn to do is to rest a day a week. That's crazy, right? Did he get anxious? Take a day off. I'm talking like we'll get there. Take a day off a week and learn to rest in the gospel daily. Well, you can be defined by rest while people say, no, that's not an anxious person. That's a rested person because they believe and have a God that takes care of them. So let's turn to Mark 2. That's where we're going to the passage we're going to learn from today. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. I'll give you some time to get there. I ought to cheat and look at the TVs. said, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar? the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was not made for man. Oh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So that first thing, what this whole passage is really about, we need to always start with Jesus in preaching, because Jesus has the supremacy in preaching. Worship is about Jesus. The message is about Jesus, but we want it to be about that because that flows over into us. So the definition right here, Jesus is saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I define what the Sabbath is. I'm the one who wrote the Ten Commandments that said, keep the Sabbath day holy. holy. Have rest, take it off, cease from work. I wrote the scriptures. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. So what you will see through the whole Gospel of Mark, for those who are reading and studying through with us, you will see a tension between the religious leaders and Jesus. The religious leaders are saying, you're not keeping the law. And Jesus say, you don't understand the law. The religious leaders will say, this is in the scriptures. And Jesus will say, you're not reading the scriptures right. So you have all this tension. And the biggest thing there was tension about was how to keep the Sabbath. Let me give you an example. So God gives this one revelation in one of the Ten Commandments. Take a day off, keep the Sabbath day holy, get rest. Do you know what the religious leaders did with that non-biblically? They made 39 categories of what you could not do on the Sabbath, which include baking bread, sewing, building structures, and how many steps you could take on the Sabbath. Do you know you could take, in their law, you could take 3,000 steps on the Sabbath. You couldn't take 3,000, but you could take 2,999. Right? You could lift something up, but it couldn't weigh more than a dry fig. How do you figure that out? How do you figure that out? You talk about the stress. You could throw something up with your hand and catch it with the same hand, but if you switched hands, you broke the Sabbath. I'm not making this stuff up. 39 different categories. And you know what happened to people on the day of rest? Stress. How much did that weigh, brother? Dry fig? How many steps did you take? People be bugging out with their step thing. Like I, got, I only got 200 steps there. Can I make it? Like... They had everyone just stressed out. They made the Sabbath something it wasn't meant to be because they made legalisms. And you know what, what the heart of legalism is? Know why we make rules that aren't in the Bible and we get mad at other people because they don't keep them? Self-righteousness. That's where legalism comes from. 
self-righteousness. Oh, they're watching that show. Heathens. Look at that calorie intake. Get biblical, dog. Right? We make all these kind of legalistic things on how to dress and what to watch and how to eat and these kind of things. And we act as if they're biblical and they have nothing to do with being holy and everything to do with lifting up the person who's making the rules. Do you guys hear what I'm preaching? Everything to do. And you'll find that the people who want to make the rules, like I remember in the 80s, they remember tight rolling your pants in the 80s. Am I the only one? You got that nice tight roll going with the Nike with the baby swoosh. And you walk around like, what you got? You get the tur- turtleneck with the sweater over it, polo. And people thought you were a bad man. Do you know what the church I was at said to me? That's so worldly. Worldly? What are we supposed to be wearing? Ephods? You're just dressing 30 years ago when the style was 30 years ago. Unless you're walking around with an ephod and a skirt and sandals with the toes out, bro, you're worldly. And you ain't biblical. Who made the rules you can't tight roll your pants? Really? And I'm talking whole sanctuaries would shut down people like, you got the tight roll, kid. What is everyone talking about? Who is at the top making these rules? Self-righteous men that want nothing to do with the love of God and want everything to do with self-exaltation. Can I get an amen? You know it's true. You've lived it. We've lived it. Some of us have been on the receiving end. Some of us have been on the giving end of these things. So that's what the Pharisees are doing. They see Jesus picking grain on the Sabbath. And they say, what do you do when you're breaking the Sabbath? And Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. See, they were trying to take the Sabbath and make it a legalistic thing. And Jesus gave a day of rest as a gift to us. He said, man, the Sabbath was made for you and me. I give you a day off to show you I'm a loving God and that I care about you. And you don't have to worry about how much stuff weighs and picking it up and all those kinds of things. Because I'm a God of mercy, and I care for my people, and I know you have limitations. If you're living as if you have no limitations, there's a reason your soul is exhausted, because you have limitations. You are not God, you are finite. He is infinite. That's why people understand, why did, why did God need a day off on the seventh day when he created it? To understand that word, Sabbath, you've got to understand the word Shabbat, which means not rest, but to cease from work. So what God did is after creating all this magnificence that we live in, creating us, the world, the culture, he ceased from work. He stepped back and said, that looks good. Isn't that the best thing when you work? I'm telling you, if you do work, step back and take a look at it. If you did back work, go back in and change it up. You know, we used to run pipe when I did electrical work, and we put that level on it when the bubble was in the middle. He's like, you see that, dog? That was me. You feel good. I'm glad there's fellow electricians. I saw a little smile from our two electricians in here. Because you, you're made in the image of God. When you do good work, you cease from that work. You step back and say, man, that is good. And so what God is saying is you can cease from that work and enjoy it. What the Pharisees were doing is Jesus was actually healing people who were crippled and sick and deaf. He was healing them on the Sabbath. And let me give you one example to show their hearts. 
A man was crippled all his life. He could not walk. He was laying on a pallet. And Jesus said, get up and walk. And that man, for the first time, was healed by the power of the Holy Spirit, got up and walked. But he picked up his pallet that weighed too much for their rules. And you know what they saw on that day? They didn't see a, male, a man healed by the Lord of the Sabbath, by the Son of Man, by the Son of God. They saw a man who broke a rule that they had made that wasn't even biblical. He picked up the pallet. Can you imagine that? He'd been with people that no matter what you do, they see the wrong. Because it's, no, it's not what's going on, it's the heart. Right? Someone is healed. Someone is up. Someone is walking who's never walked. And you see the pallet they pick up because they pick something up and they say, how dare he heals on the Sabbath. No, rejoice that God is with us and he's healing people and showing mercy. Amen? Because that's the gospel. See, what they wanted was judgment, not mercy. And hear the gospel right here. The gospel is all about mercy, not just judgment. No one deserves the mercy of God. No one deserves the grace of God. And we don't get to hand out tickets who we think deserve the grace of God. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. And these men didn't want mercy. They wanted judgment. Therefore, they would not know God because our God is a God of mercy. Amen? They couldn't see him and he was right in front of them. You're not going to see what you don't want to see. You won't see it. You'll be intentionally blind. And Jesus said, you act as if you know the scriptures. And what Jesus does, I love this. He goes to the scriptures to prove his point. He says, don't you remember when David and his mighty men were on the run from an evil king? And they were so hungry that they went to the temple and they ate of the bread of the presence because they were so hungry. And don't you know that that's not, that wasn't sin? Don't you know the spirit of the law, not the letter? Don't you know mercy and not judgment? And he used the scriptures on them. And he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I will show you its true intention. And the true intention is mercy. And we need to learn to start seeing with eyes of mercy, or you're never going to love anyone, and only people that live up to your standards. You know, one of the biggest things in my marriage, and I'm sure Natalie felt the same way, when I started not making my wife have to be in debt to me, and I'm not talking about money, because money is a, I almost said friggin' from the pulpit, I just did. It's a friggin' illusion, money. It, it acts like it promises the world and it takes everything from you. Right? But I realized that I had a debt system in my marriage. So if I felt like I did so much for my wife, she deserved, I deserved something from her. Right? That has nothing to do with the gospel because we get everything and we don't deserve anything. Right? And so what? I find myself always mad at Natalie because of my expectations. Like, man, I did all that. I was bringing the trash out. You see how I shovel? I pay the bills. She owed me that. And I was always mad. Always frustrated under my breath, just like, well, then I realized, first of all, I won't love my wife the way I should love my wife. And I'm sure she felt, the, I'm not just saying Natalie's doing something. You're two sinners are living together. Everyone's doing stuff wrong all the time. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just a messed up situation. That God covers with his grace. Like everyone's hurting everyone. It's just like, how oh, you hurt today? I'm hurt. Let's do this. And I finally realized that I had to apply 
the gospel and show mercy to my wife. And she had to show me mercy because if we lived by the debt system, we would never love each other because she can never live up to my standards and I can never live up to her standards and we can never live up to God's standards or God would never love us. That's why Jesus is so valuable, amen? So I started loving her regardless. And she's been loving me regardless. And things got a lot better. I was able to love my wife because I chose mercy over judgment by the grace of God. And I need you guys to hear this because we need to see people in that light. We need to see the grace of God. If anyone has hidden law, it's me. I have so many. I think I was born with hidden laws that everyone's breaking 24 hours a day. That's why my dad says I can count the number of friends on my hand because everyone breaks this hidden law. No one meets the hand, <laughs> you know? I think he really has, I think one legit one, his name's Waxy, he's from Cambridge. Him and Waxy are buddies, so I think he has one legit friend. But he said, I can count the number, because he said, no one can keep my rules or standards. It's all hypocritical, we don't need to get into it today. But what I'm saying is, that sinful nature is in all of us. Maybe yours is 5, 10, 2, 20, but we have these standards that people can't possibly live up to because we, we don't show mercy, therefore we cannot show the gospel. And we need to see with those eyes of mercy, especially as a church. If you expect everyone who walks through those doors to meet the standards, we're going to have a self-righteous church, not a grace-centered church. I remember that we were meeting here with a couple other churches. And part of being Restoration Road is... We got people that like to smoke the cigarette once in a while. You understand me? We got people sometimes who, you know, are anxious. So know what you do when you're anxious? Pop that Marlboro light. <laughs> so one day we got, we had a little huddle outside. People were smoking. It was like their first time at church, their second time at church. And another person from the church ran and it was like, there's people smoking outside. My family saw it. I was like, what? Like, I'm talking like, it was, it was bananas. Like, he was all ruffled up. Like, and I was like, dude. I said, all right. I, I was kind. I was Christ-like. I was like, whatever. Know how a heart should see that? There's people who are coming to God, to, coming to church to hear about God. Yes, they might be anxious. Yes, they might have bad habits. I'm not recommending that anyone smokes. But listen. If we put standards that God has not put on, no one's coming in the door. No one's coming. Where do you stop? Cigarette is a cigarette. Smoking is not a sin. Do you guys know that? I'm not promoting it. It's not a good health habit, right? But if we're going to go there, I'm going to be at McDonald's when you order that Big Mac. What you doing? You see the calories on that? If we're going there, if we're going health habits, I want everyone at the gym, Mike's gym, at 6 o'clock working on your triceps, right? Where does the legalism stop? Listen, those aren't healthy habits, and we all have them. I want to encourage you to smoke, right? But it's not sin to smoke, and we stop putting those standards on people that are extra biblical. We become pharisaical, and we don't show mercy, amen? God wants to free us from that and give us a day of rest so we're not living with all these burdens, but we'll live in the grace of God, and we realize when God looks at us, we have no debt. But we sang that song the first thing. You know, some of us, I want to free you today. You're living as if you're in debt to God. But what I did in my 20s, but what I did in my teens, but what I did yesterday, I'm in debt. I got to do more. I got to earn more. I got to earn his favor. You think you have a debt? You have no debt. Jesus paid it on the cross. Amen. So most of living in a system that is not Christ. 
You don't owe Christ anything. Because Jesus paid the debt that we could not pay eternally. You are forgiven. You are loved. You don't have to live anxious. You can rest in the reality that your debt's paid. Is that good news? That's the best news there is. So I just want to give you a few ways to enjoy your day of rest. I want you to rest in the gospel I just preached to you. I want some of us to stop working for God's love because God loves you. You're valuable. God loves you deeply. You're not less. You're not worth less than the person next to you. We are all equally valuable in God's eyes, and that's attested through the gospel. You don't have to live out of angst anymore. You don't have to live to prove anything. You can rest in the love and gospel of Jesus Christ that puts you in the arms of the Heavenly Father. That's what we were made to rest in. You know that? When someone is well-loved, they're well-rested. Someone who is not well-loved cannot stop moving. And that's something we all go through, right? I can't stop because if I stop, I have to remember the debt I owe. I have to remember the pain I went through. I have to remember that issue that God wants me to work through. I can't stop because if I stop, I'm going to have to feel those emotions that I've been leaving behind for decades. You know what the gospel says? Stop, rest in him, give those emotions to God, and watch your soul healed and you'll be defined by rest. You know, me and my family, we love to go to Storyland. Does anyone know the pirate ride at Storyland? If you know the pirate ride at Storyland, you get on that ride and the, pirate, the, the captain's up there and he's telling all the kids, they got the oars next to them, but the oars don't reach the water. And the boat is running on a motor, but he says, kids, we're not going to make it out of the trench unless you paddle as hard as you can paddle. And the kids think they're doing something. They're like, we ain't going to get out of here. And they're working, and the paddles ain't hitting the water. And, you, you know, as parents, you're like, it's cute, but these kids are dumb, man. <laughs> the reason I tell you that story is because that's how sometimes we are with our faith. We look at each other, and we're over there like, I got this. I'm going to make God love me. He's going to love me. I'm going to earn it. And you're like, these kids are stupid. Rest in the love of God. Jesus earned it on the cross. It's finished. It's done once and for all. Your sins are forgiven. You are loved by God. You can't earn it. Jesus did it on the cross. We're going to enjoy all eternity with our Heavenly Father being loved by Him. Amen? In my final point, I want some of you (laughs) to enjoy a day off. I want some of you to enjoy a day off. It's okay. God's going to take care of you. I know myself, it's hard to take a day off because it takes, it takes real faith to take a day off and say, God's going to provide for me. I don't have to work seven days a week. It takes a real faith to say, I'm going to take a day off and I'm going to rest that that relationship is going to work itself out. I'm going to take a day off and trust my God and enjoy my God and just cease from work. I, I do that on Saturdays because Sunday, of course, is a work day for me. But on Saturdays, sometimes I'll sleep in late. I'll go to basketball with my kids. I'll catch up on a Netflix show I wanted to watch. 
I'll read a book, I'll read the Bible, I'll take some time to cease from work. All pastoral stuff. That's my, my job, and you guys have your jobs. And say, I'm going to trust God and rest my soul in Him. Guys, that took so many years, and some Saturdays I don't do good. I want to check this, I want to check that, I want to check on it. It's hard to rest in God and cease from work. But the benefits for a soul, the benefits for a soul are absolutely amazing. You know, it takes humble people to enjoy sleep. You've got to be humble to enjoy sleep. Because that you mean that you've got to be on bed and say, God, there's so many things out of my control, and I trust you to control them, and you've always loved me. See you later. It takes humility for that, to rest. And some of you, mark out a day. I know some of us are in the medical field and this, that, so Sundays isn't really, you can't rest because you have to work. And, but for many of us, this day is our day of rest. This is our day when we come to be with God's people, to hear a gospel that gives us soul rest, to sing to our God, which brings rest, to take communion, to remember the goodness of God and his faithfulness, to pay homage to our king, right? And we find rest in that, to cease from all those things. You know, it's good to have conversations about God. I'm so encouraged when I see you guys. I really find rest for my soul. By God's grace, it's not a duty to me. It's a privilege that we get here to worship Jesus and really find rest to that. And here's the key about your day of rest, whatever it is. Don't fill it with carnal things because you won't feel rested. Fill it with things like spending time with your wife or people you love. Fill it with maybe even a little scripture, not in a dutiful way, but in a way where you get to read like a Psalm 23 and, and hear from God and rest and pray. And it's not a duty, but you, you rest in him. Maybe a little worship music that just reminds you of God's grace. Like Fill it with things that feed your spirit. Because when our spirit gets rest, our soul is at rest. Have you ever seen someone who really doesn't do a lot of physical stuff, but they're exhausted all the time? And you're like, why are they tired? It's like, I can't do it anymore. Bro, you've been on the couch for four days. How will you tie it? Because if the soul isn't at rest, nothing will be at rest. It will be tormented. Because the spirit needs rest. The spirit needs to be fed. These are the things we're hungry for to find rest. So for example, sometimes people say, I got a day off, I'm going out to get hammered, kid. Got tomorrow off, I'm getting blasted, tomahawked, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to do it. You know what happens to a day of rest? The whole next day, if you're following Jesus, you're condemned. I drank too much. I said two drinks. Seven drinks later, I had my shoes off on the dance floor. Right? There's no rest. There's absolutely no rest. And there goes your day of rest. You fed the flesh. You're not going to be rested. Some of us, on a day of rest, we will overindulge in eating so much that we feel horrible about ourselves. Like just sitting there with wontons falling off the table. What a day off. And then we're like, okay, I wanted to feast, but this went a little too far. Right? And you say, I fed the flesh. I don't feel rested. The next day I feel guilty. I've got to buy a treadmill. I've got to get a gym membership. Right? Because we indulge that flesh. Some of us, the Holy Spirit is leading us to stop watching things we shouldn't watch. And on our days off, we're watching those things. And they're draining our spirits rather than filling our spirits. And so the Holy Spirit calls us away and says, no, 
I'm telling you, I want to give you true rest. Come to me, all, all who are weary and heavy laden and burdened, Jesus said, and I'll give you true rest. On our days off, feed your spirit. Understand that a loving and merciful God gives you that day off to trust him, to build your relationship with God. And then as a people, Restoration Road family, we can love people out of a rested spirit. We can do our jobs out of a rested spirit. We can be defined by rest because of who our father is, who our heavenly daddy is. He's the best. He will always provide for us. You can trust him and you can rest in him. Amen.